We are eight weeks into the book of Mark, uh, and we are not through chapter one, and we won't be after this week. So, um, praise God that his word is so rich, amen? We can study this for nine weeks and not get through chapter one. That's exciting. But it's a bit refreshing for me, actually, to focus our attention as a church, our energy on the account of Peter and his trusted co-laborer, Mark, better known as John Mark, as we see the ministry and the message and who Christ is as they present to us this beautiful book of Mark. Peter, remember, he's the denier of Christ, and John Mark, who writes the book of Mark, is the deserter who deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And this is certainly a redemptive gospel. And so when we begin to read the book of Mark, we're thinking to ourselves, this is a redemptive gospel. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're completely broken, wherever you are, this is a great book to read because it is a redemptive gospel. It's not about how great we are but of how great Christ is. Amen? So in chapter 1, we've learned that the king has been announced. John the Baptist announced this king is coming. The king has been coronated as the beloved son in his baptism. The king has been tested in the wilderness by his enemy, Satan. He announces the message of the kingdom of God is here And then the king calls people to follow him. He chooses his disciples, calling them to be fishers of men. And he begins to take back his kingdom through his word and his authority over the demonic, the spiritual forces who have control over this world. And then last week, David preached on the authority to restore the body, the physical nature of humanity through healing of diseases. Did you know that in the kingdom of God, there will not be suffering or pain or sickness or sorrow? Jesus came to declare that, amen? He came to declare there will not be sickness or sorrow or suffering or pain in the kingdom of God. Why? Because he has authority over that. He is the authority to restore the body. The ill effects of the body in which God has created for a purpose of glorifying him forever. Let me read for you in Revelation just so you have some hope that there will not be pain, suffering, or death, or disease in heaven. Revelation 24, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Beautiful, right? That is what Jesus is showing when he is walking through these villages declaring the kingdom of God. He's declaring it through the casting out of the enemy, Satan, the demonic, and he's doing it through the restoration of the bodies, the healing of diseases. Mark it down. There will not be sickness in the kingdom of God. And he shows he has authority to take it all away, and he will at the proper time. But until the proper time comes, until Christ returns, there is a mission to fulfill. And what is the mission until he returns and he restores all things and makes all things new? What is the mission? Well, Christ describes the mission in these verses. And he will hand this mission to his disciples who will carry out the mission to the ends of the earth through the vehicle in which God uses to carry his message to the ends of the earth, which is the church, the people of God. So let's remind ourselves why we exist and why we're here while we await the king's return. This is the king's mission. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 through 39. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39 and stand in honor of reading of God's word as we believe it is the authority in our life, is the authority by which we hear the words of the Lord and are transformed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where they prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You may be seated. Father, we ask that this morning that we would be of soul focused and of one mind to remind ourselves that we are here for your glory. Father, help us to be servants of the king while we await his setting up of the finished kingdom of God. And help us to remind ourselves that the king is coming and he will set up his kingdom, that there will not be any pain or suffering or sin or death. But Father, help us to to remind ourselves that we have a task and a mission on this earth while we await the coming king. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the people in this room this morning. May they be encouraged by their word. May they be um, challenged by the words of Christ and help us to be people 
that cling to the words of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever been... Uh, there he is, Mr. David Cottle. We're glad you're here, man. Happy, happy one year anniversary, my friend. You, you, you weren't here when we celebrated you, but we celebrated with Anna and it was fantastic. So have you ever been sidetracked? Speaking of, have you ever been sidetracked? From, have you ever had like a goal or mission or purpose? and gotten sidetracked, being so excited about something else that you forget why you are there or your purpose in the first place, right? I, I can tell you I never get sidetracked, right? Yeah. Uh, my wife understands this reality better than anyone, um, as sometimes I would say I get real focused on other things, Right? <laughs> Say, for instance, you're supposed to go to PetSmart to get a new leash, right? So you have this one job. I love that on, on Monday Night Football. You had one job, Rob. And you're supposed to go to PetSmart to get this new leash. You know, the old leash is kind of fraying and it's, it's, it's not able to do that. And you've got to walk the dog. And so you've got to go to PetSmart to get the, 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 the new leash. But... Um, but when you walk into PetSmart, you look to your left. Usually it's on the left. I, I've been to many PetSmarts in my day. And you see these beautiful fish. And they're so colorful, right? And when you're with your kids, you just want to go look at the beautiful fish. And you're meandering around the fish section. And you realize, oh, man. They have the fish. It is the most beautiful one you've ever seen, ever. They don't normally have this fish because you normally meander around this section. You, you see this fish, and, and before you know it, you're talking to the manager of the store about whether this fish would fit in your tank. And then... All of a sudden, the, the, the store worker is putting this fish in a bag for you. <laughs> so you can take him home. And you're so excited about the new color in your tank and how the fish is going to do so well. And you're talking to your kids about it and you lose sight of why you came to PetSmart in the first place. And you come home... And your wife says, where's the leash? I say, but I got the fish. <laughs> Mission failure, right? Mission failure. Jesus was healing so many, right? I mean, look at the verse previous to ones we just read. He says, and he healed many. I Meaning he just didn't just heal some. He said, the ones that he healed were many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, Jesus was healing many people in Capernaum. And everybody is looking for him. But healing people is not what he came to do. 
You see, healing was proving what he was saying. Healing was, was showing who he was. But he came for another purpose. To proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It was the message of the gospel. The good news that God had come to redeem and restore the broken world. To remove the power of darkness. To bring about salvation from sin and death. It was this message that he needed to proclaim. And it is this message that he has entrusted to the church to bring to the ends of the earth. The message is the mission. The healings help to affirm the message. But without the proclamation of the message of the kingdom of God, the people would not know what God was about to do. God's glorious salvation was proclaimed by Christ. That God would save his people and he would do it through the cross of Christ, ushering back the kingdom of God. So verse 35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. He said to him, everyone is looking for you. This is point number one. Prayer powers the mission. Prayer powers the mission. You see where it says the desolate place. He went to a, to a desolate place. It's corresponding, that word in the Greek is corresponding to the wilderness. It's this this place where, where Jesus was led by the Spirit earlier to be tempted by Satan, and Jesus goes back to the wilderness to meet with the Lord. You see, he has all this success, right? All these people want to come to him. All these people are being healed. They're saying, oh, who is this guy? What is he doing all these people are looking for him, and he moves away from the crowds to do what? To pray. You see, prayer is the complete opposite of pride. You're saying, I need the Lord when you pray. I don't need more people. I don't need more fame. I don't need to be known more. <laughs> I need the Lord. It's an act of humility to pray. And when we don't pray as Christians, knowing that our God is in authority, in control of all things, is the creator of the heavens and the earth, is sustaining life, what, when we don't pray, we're arrogantly saying, I don't need the Lord. I can do it myself. But Jesus, even though he was having, from a world's perspective, enormous success, he knew that he needed to realign 
himself back to the Father's will. You see, this realignment happens through humbly praying before the Lord. You see, at the beginning of his ministry right here, after he's seen some success initially, this is what he does. At the end of his ministry, this is what he will do. It's at the beginning, it will be in a wilderness, desolate place by himself. At the end, it will be in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And what does he pray in the garden? Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Notice his prayer is realignment back to the will of God. He's speaking the truth about who God is. All things are possible for you. Then he's asking the Lord to remove this cup that he's about to bear, which is the cup of God's wrath poured out upon the cross for sinners. But then he says in prayer, not what I will, but what you will. You see, prayer actually realigns us back to the mission of God. Notice that. That's what prayer does. We speak the truth about who God is and ask according to his will and it realigns us back to what the will of God is for us. We're asking the Lord for his will to be done. Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the greatest preachers of all time, he preached in the largest church in the world at the time during the 1800s in downtown London, was asked one time, By an American pastor, what is the secret to your success, right? That's that's what we want to do as Americans. We want the how-to manual. You're being successful in your church. You have the largest congregation in the world. How do you do it? I want to replicate that. You can understand that. And the man said, "I, I I just want to do what you do and copy it. And Spurgeon said, we don't really have a secret formula, but if I had to point to one thing of why we are successful, I would point to this. After the service had started, thousands of people worshiping the Lord in the arena, he took the pastor down to a room in the basement. They call it the boiler room. We have one downstairs, by the way. And he saw 300 people. Now, our boiler room, probably compared to their boiler room, was very similar. Concrete floor, nasty, not a place where you want to go, all the engines running. He took him down and he saw 300 people on their face crying out to God, asking them to move in the service that day. Spurgeon would go on to say, The prayer meeting is an institution which ought to be very precious to us and to be cherished very much by us as a church. For to it we owe everything. When our comparatively little chapel was all but empty, was it not a well-known fact that the prayer meeting was always full? 
And when, when the church increased and the place was scarce large enough, it was the prayer meeting that did it all. When we went to a larger assembly hall, we were a praying people. When we ended up going to the arena, what cries and tears went up to heaven for our success. And so it has been ever since. It is the spirit of prayer that our strength lies. And if we lose this, the locks will be shorn from Samson and the church of God will become weak as water. Isn't that interesting? He describes prayer as the locks of Samson for the church. And when the prayer ceases in the body, we become weak as water. Jim Cimbala says that you can tell how popular the pastor is by how many people show up on the Sunday morning. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people show up at the prayer meeting. You see, at NWBC, we believe that nothing happens without fervent, focused prayer. It is only when God's people humble themselves, seek the face of God, and pray that God will act. It was so great this morning for me to walk into the house of prayer. There's about 12 people in the house of prayer praying this morning for you, praying for our service this morning, praying for people. And they pray for an hour, 9.30 to 10.30 in the mornings. But it's, it's wonderful that God has placed people in, their, in our church's heart to go and pray for you. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, one of my favorite verses of all time. It says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You want to humble yourself before God? Great. Start by praying and asking the Lord, speaking to the Lord early in the morning. Think about this. If we had a thousand people saved, a hundred churches planted, and ten missionaries sent, from our congregation in the next 10 years and we didn't ask God to do that who would receive the credit for that I'll I'll repeat that if we had a thousand people saved a hundred churches planted and ten missionaries sent through our congregation in the next 10 years and we didn't ask God to do that Who would receive the credit for that? Would it be our great congregation, which we do have? Would it be our great leadership, which we do have? Would it be our great culture, which we do have? No, we want it to be because the Lord brought it about. Because he worked through the spirit of the living God and dwelling in his people. Our ideas, our thoughts, our dreams will fail apart from God's work and his hand doing it. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is what Jesus says. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it that it bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So prayer is powering the mission of God in his church. 
prayer is powering the mission of God in your life. One more thing. God wants to teach you something in the morning. Why? Because he wants to teach you something in the morning so that you can tell others about him. Right? Let's, let's look at the text, Isaiah. Isaiah is everywhere in Mark. But it's so beautiful, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. You have to read this a few times just to even get it. Because it's kind of in poetic uh, imagery here. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. What is he saying? He, he's saying that the Lord God has given to me someone who speaks with a tongue, speaks as someone who has been taught, okay? That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So how to speak to someone who is weary, how to sustain them with life. The, the Lord has given me the words to speak to someone else who is weary. Why? Be, be, and how to sustain them with a word. And then he says, morning by morning, he awakens me, awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. He awakens every morning to hear and listen to the Lord so that we can teach those who are weary and sustain them with a word from God. Isn't that beautiful? Speaking of sustaining others with the word who is weary, let us keep in step with the mission of Christ. So, Jesus' answer to the disciples of saying, everyone is looking for you, is, is what? What does Jesus say to the question? Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. You've you gone up in the morning by yourself into the wilderness to pray, and everybody's looking for you. You're wasting your time. What does Jesus say? Verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Proclamation of the gospel is the mission. Proclamation of the gospel is the mission. Look at verse 36. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach, that I may proclaim, that I may herald, that I may announce there also. And what is he announcing, heralding, proclaiming? Go back to verse 14. And John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word preach is in the Greek, keruso. Announce. Proclaim, preach, herald. I love this word, right? Obviously, I've given my life to this word, so I better love it. The Lord Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he calls his servants to be heralds, announcers, proclaimers, preachers of this good news 
that our God saves. And how does he save? Through Jesus Christ. That's the announcement. This is why Jesus came out. He showed himself to the people to herald the gospel. He had a mission to fill. Paul would even give the same charge to young Timothy as he was leaving him. Paul would say, my time has come. I've run the race. And 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, the charge is what? Preach the gospel. Preach the word, excuse me. It says the word, but you know what, what he meant right there, right? I mean, preach the gospel, preach the word, same topic. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth. Wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We see this proclamation of the gospel, this heralding, this preaching of the gospel is not only for pastors. It's not only for preachers, but for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Mark 3.14, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might, what? Send them out to preach, to proclaim You see, the church, the people of God, is the vehicle in which the announcement is spread. In in, in foreign countries, if you've been to foreign countries, they have wild ways of getting announcements out there, okay? Uh, Especially in, in the olden days before all the social media stuff. In foreign countries, they used to attach huge speakers to the top of cars and pickups and go through the town or village making the announcement. Get your mangoes and sticky rice, $4.99 in the market, right? I mean, that's literally what would happen. They would drive through the town, get your mangoes. Get your mangoes. In the olden days, they would have a herald, even before this time, they would have a herald who would stand in the town square, he would read the edict from the king, he would read something, and people would gather together in the town square and say, oh, this is the announcement. In our grandparents' generation, some of you might know what this is, they had a thing called the newspaper. It was printed paper and unfolded. It would be about this big and you would hold it like this and read it. I'm serious. These people don't even know what newspaper is. But um, some people know what 
writing letters were, right? You used to write letters and send them in the mail. Some of you may have to do that in a class or something early on. Weird stuff, I know, but think about making announcements in today's world, right? I mean, we, we have somebody, David's going to come at the end of service. He's going to make announcements about what's going on in our church. But think about how we make announcements. You want to make an announcement that your, your baby was born, your newborn was born. My dad, back in the day, he flew a blue, blue towel on the flagpole at our house, right? That's how he made an announcement that I was born, was he flew a blue towel on the flagpole. We got a baby boy in the house. Okay, great. But think about it today. Shout out, actually, to William Alexander Tillman, born yesterday, one of our new babies. But you can on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, your website, whatever you want to announce. You can announce the whole world within 10 seconds. Anything that you want to announce. Uh, A proclamation is nothing new. But in today's world, everyone is announcing their news. Everyone has their truth that they want to tell. Uh, and And I can't help but see how the enemy actually wants to muddy the waters of truth with all these people announcing their stuff, right? We, we love to announce. We love. We, we as people, we love to announce. We love to proclaim about our team or our sports or our kids or our life, we love, to, we love to shout about a lot of things, but proclamation of the gospel is the mission of God. There's going to be many people in this room right now who would say, you know, I'm really not about preaching this gospel. I don't even know where to begin. How, how about we begin our proclamation of the gospel and understand our proclamation of the gospel with baptism. There's people in this room who have never been baptized. And and just like we saw this morning with Cameron, she got up and she proclaimed her faith in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in her life, that she has died and now she lives in Christ for the glory of God. How about the Lord's Supper? What does the Lord's Supper do, actually? It proclaims the Lord's death until he comes again. But So by, by taking of the Lord's Supper, by baptism you're proclaiming that you are in Christ, you're proclaiming the gospel. By taking the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming that you need Christ. You're proclaiming that his death is what you genuinely need how how about we begin with our testimony a proclamation of the gospel beginning with our testimony it can be short or can be long it be i was once someone who went my own way and now christ has made a path for me to be able to walk in his way it's a short testimony 
but it's a proclamation of truth. How about you begin proclaiming to your own heart, maybe in the morning, and through prayer, asking the Lord to teach you about himself. How about to your family? Starting with your children, your wife, proclaiming God's glorious salvation to your own family, having a conversation around the dinner table saying, what a beautiful, wonderful God that we serve, that he would die for me. Kids, did you know that I'm not perfect? And I need Jesus just like you. What a proclamation to your children. Now how about those who you know? How, how, about, how about calling them to come follow the king with you? There's many on-ramps that we have in this church. Men's ministry, women's ministry, Bible study, community groups. We have events all the time. We got on-ramps, on-ramps. Come follow Christ with me. Come hear about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How about those you don't know? How about those who have never heard? Maybe God may be calling some of you to go to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49 says this, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He's speaking of the people of God in Jerusalem and in Zion. But you can substitute that for the body of Christ here at Northwest. Go up on a high mountain, Northwest, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Northwest, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities in America and to the ends of the earth, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, I just went through a lot of areas. Your heart, right? Yourself, your home, your city, and the world. I just went through a lot of areas to proclaim the gospel, but that's what we see in Mark chapter 1, do we not? He, he proclaimed the good news through what? Baptism? Jesus being baptized? Then he goes to those he knew, he calls the first disciples, he knew these guys, he calls them. And then he goes to their families. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. And now he's going to proclaim to those he doesn't know to the ends of the earth. 
But before he does that, he spends time with the Lord, proclaiming the gospel to his own heart and allowing the Lord to speak to him, does he not? Through prayer. It's, it's very complicated, and sometimes we make it overly complicated. And sometimes we need to just simplify what the mission of God is for us. Verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is point number three this morning. Live his mission. Live his mission. So if prayer powers the mission and the mission of God is the proclamation of the gospel... We can't just stop there. But we actually have to live out the mission of God. We have to actually respond to the gospel. Jesus didn't just say he was about proclaiming the gospel. He did it. We have a saying around here. It's posted on this wall as you exit this room. It says, love Christ, live his mission." We believe we cannot have a true living of the mission. We cannot live his mission without a true desire and a love for God. And if we do love God and we truly love God, we will want to live his mission. It makes sense, right? People can live the mission of God without truly loving Christ, but they cannot truly love Christ without living the mission of God. One of our missional goals is to proclaim the gospel. You you see the pictures out here. It's gospel life mission. First one is proclaim the gospel. Second one is life on life discipleship. And the third one is sent on mission. Proclaiming the gospel. And hopefully we don't get distracted by shiny fish that we see, right? That's part of my job, is to make sure we don't get distracted by shiny fish. That's why I need other, other people up here, like David, who can help me to make sure that we're not looking at shiny fish. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Isn't that true? Do we truly believe that God has provided salvation through this gospel? Do we truly believe that this gospel has the power to save someone from hell and damnation and eternity separated from God? Do we truly believe that people's lives are transformed through the power of the gospel, not only in this life, but the life to come? 
I'm going to pray as we close. I'm just going to pray for you. As the body of Christ, I would like for you to pray for me. That we together would be proclaimers of the good news. That our conversations would be seasoned with salt. That we would not miss opportunities to proclaim and herald the good news message that the king has come to save humanity from sin and death. That we would not become distracted from the mission of God, but we would be marked as people who love Christ and live his mission by those that we come in contact with. So the call this morning is obviously to be proclaimers of the gospel. People who proclaim the gospel. Where are you in that process? You may, today you may be saying, I need to be a proclaimer of the gospel through baptism. We would love to talk to you about how to be baptized. You may be saying, I want to be a proclaimer of the gospel in my home. We have people in our church who have been doing that a very, very long time who would love to sit down with you and disciple you in that. We, you say, I want to proclaim the gospel in my workplace. Well, that's, that's fantastic because we got people who would love to sit down with you and talk to you about that as well. You say, I want to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Guess what? We got people in this room praying about going to the ends of the earth right now. Praise God, wherever you are in this process. Let me pray for you. I'll ask you to pray for me. Would you stand this morning? And I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. But as we're reminded of the mission of God, I'm just going to pray that we would focus our entirety upon that. I ask that you do the same for me. Father God, in in a world in which there's so many distractions, so many things that can take our eyes off of what you desire and your will for us, Lord God, we pray that um, we would be focused, that we would remain steadfast, not because we are good, but because you are good. We pray, Father, that your spirit would move amongst your people to truly proclaim the gospel in their own heart, in their own minds, in their family, in the people that they know, and the people that they don't know. Father God, we pray that you would raise up generations, whether they're old or young, with families or no children, or even children and youth, who will stand and herald and proclaim the good news that our God saves, that he has sent Christ to earth to save sinners. By the power of the gospel, Father, we pray for salvation of people 
that their lives and their hearts would be transformed, that they would live for the kingdom of God and not for themselves. We thank you for prayer and the power that prayer has. Even in this gathering, Father, we pray as one body, as a people of God, unto you that you would raise up gospel proclaimers in this room, in our hearts, and that we be unashamed of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our pastors are up front. We're going to sing a song. We're going to respond.